0: Dollar and its status as the world's reserve currency under threat. Welcome to this episode of Macro Matters with Millennium Global, the podcast where we tackle the big macroeconomic issues of the day and discuss what it means for your portfolio. The topic of de dollarization has become a hot one in recent weeks and months, and one around which there is a fairly meaningful division of opinion, with doomsayers calling for the dollar's imminent demise. And supporters arguing its hegemonic status will be quite hard to undermine and that we shouldn't expect a meaningful change in status anytime soon. Who is right and what are the stakes for global markets and for investors? Here to help me pick apart this issue is Mark Astley, the co CEO of Millennium Global, a currency specialist based in London. Mark, thank you for joining me.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Let's kick off by asking why the topic of de-dollarization has become so prevalent lately and what the key arguments are supporting this notion of the dollar's demise.
1: Yes, there have been a number of reasons cited in um, the financial press and in research in recent weeks. It's become quite topical. Uh, First of all, there's been a focus on the fact that in the last 20 years, the percentage of US dollars in global reserves has declined from about 71% to about 58% uh, looking at uh, IMF data. And there is um, a view that in fact, in 2022, this reduced quite significantly further. There's also been the issue that um, borne out most particularly by President Lula uh, of Brazil in a visit to China as to whether the dollar should continue being predominant in uh, invoicing in trade flows. In fact, he mentioned, quote, every night, I ask myself why all countries have to base their trade on the dollar? Why can't we do trade based on our own currencies? Um, And indeed, there is a move in bilateral Chinese-Brazilian trade to move to Yuan-Real invoicing. There's also the question of uh, an increase in central bank buying of gold, Central banks now constitute about one third of all annual demand, uh, and that's the highest it's been since the 1950s. And the gold price is up about 20% in the last six months. So that's uh, another reason why this question has arisen. There's also the old chestnuts around US macro uh, data in terms of inflation, uh, too much money being printed. And most recently, the debate in Congress about the need to increase the US debt ceiling. And to what extent, if there is no agreement in Congress, then there is a potential of a U.S. default for the first time in history. But perhaps the loudest argument is around this notion of so-called weaponization of the dollar in the context of uh, the U.S., but also the EU, Japan and the U.K. freezing Russian assets after it invaded Ukraine and the commencement of the, the ongoing war. And all of those reasons are uh, feeding into this, uh, this dialogue, uh, perhaps with the last one being most uh, particular.
0: Let's expand on that last issue for a moment as it's such a hot one. What is the crux of this argument around the weaponization of the U.S. dollar fueling de-dollarization? And how much of a potential problem is this really?
1: Well, if we put it to long-term context, um, to the extent that a currency has significant reserve status rests upon its convertibility, its liquidity, and the ability to move money around from that core holding. And um, to the extent that it's possible to freeze assets, that throws it into question. If we go back 30 or, or more years, then sanctions on countries for various activities by the US and Western allies was about 10%. Uh, or thereabouts. It's grown over the years, and by some measures, it's gone to 30% of all global countries, which is um, in the 50s in terms of number. However, most of those are traditional uh, and not meaningful for the financial system, thinking of the likes of North Korea, uh, Iran, Venezuela, Cuba, Syria, and the like. And also the addition from that 10 to 30% number is fairly small issues around sanctions related to, for example, export of Ammunitions munitions and munitions to Afghanistan and the like. As it relates to the freezing of assets, uh, it's a much smaller number. And arguably what's happened in the last year is the exception that proves the rule. Um, given that the war in Russia, Ukraine is uh, the first time there's been a hot war in the continent of Europe since 1945. And unlikely to be seen as an extension of US foreign policy in a different dimension than it has been run since the Second World War. So I think it is overly concerning for people to think that this is the beginning of uh, a, an issue which is, is, uh, is going to have more heft. Having said that, we are moving from what you might call a unipolar world to a bipolar world or a multipolar world. And there are some countries that are concerned about to what extent this so-called weaponization may come and impact. Uh, financial flows and holding some dollars in the longer term. Obviously, China is in the crosshairs of the US in terms of foreign policy. And even countries like, uh, or some countries in the GCC, like uh, Saudi Arabia and so on, who are bidding a little bit further away from the US and having more dialogue uh, with China may be concerned about the extent to which sanctions may come in the longer term. But that seems very unlikely given the long history of alliance between the U.S., uh, uh, Washington, and Riyadh. Elsewhere, you have the Iranian situation. Well, that's been going on for decades in the context of the sanctions there and the, the, the ways the Iranians have been trying to uh, get around the, um, the receipt of, uh, uh, of monies from uh, oil exports and so forth. Um, and so there aren't that many issues that, uh, that relate to those smaller countries. So were it to be the case that the dollar would become a permanent political tool in the context of US foreign policy, there is a case to be made that this is something to focus on. But I think, as I mentioned a moment ago, this is more like the exception that proves the rule. And as long as it's used sparingly and multilaterally rather than unilaterally, then I think there are very significant limits to the risk that this will be seen as such a threat for countries to change... the uh, the mix of their foreign exchange reserves
0: going forward. It's worth noting that we've been here before. This is hardly the first time in history, even recent history, that people have been calling for the dollar's demise. So perhaps a helpful way to frame the argument for or against the dollar's reserve status is to put it into historical context. Can you break that history down for us and also discuss what are the key factors that typically support a currency's reserve status?
1: Yes, certainly. Um, There has been this focus, as I mentioned, on the decline from the year 2000 to the year 2022, from around 71 to 58 to 59. But if we take 100 years of history, then, in fact, the current level is not in the least bit uh, concerning in terms of coming off uh, that kind of level that was existing 20 years ago. So, for example, when the dollar was at its very strongest in 1985, just before the prize record, then the percentage was 55.6%. If you go back further, then in 1920, it was only 24%. And in fact, at the end of the Second World War in 1945, uh, it was only 17.9%. It was at the time of the signing of the Bretton Woods Agreement after the Second World War that the US dollar rose to preeminence and hegemony, uh, given that so much of the US Uh, And global financial infrastructure was based on the dollar, both in invoicing uh, and in trading of global commodities, and therefore the accumulation of reserves. At a time where the U.S. moved to uh, becoming a um, current account deficit nation, and therefore the supply of dollars uh, went up significantly. So from 1945, below 20%, it rose to its zenith in 1970 at 85%. Uh, but then declined again through the into um, 90s or the late 80s to a level in 1990 of, of 48. So it has varied quite significantly, and it's notable that there is no correlation between the direction of the dollar and the size of the dollar reserves, which is critical here, because I think there is a subtext around this whole topic as to ask the question, what does it mean for the direction of the dollar? Indeed, as we'll discuss, Uh, later a little bit, there's more evidence that, in fact, a decline in the dollar increases the percentage of reserves because quite a few, particularly emerging market economies, uh, tend to intervene against the wind, so to speak, to stop their currencies rising and therefore accumulate dollars. If we think of the long-term context, just another minute or so, the the British pound in 1920 was 62.5%. Uh, and then just at the end of the Second World War, it was 79.2%. So there have been epochal shifts uh, over this, this past century. If you look at European currencies, uh, again, before the First World War, they were quite predominant. In fact, the high in the, 2000 and, excuse me, the 1915 period was um, around 42%. If you take the Deutschmark, the French franc, and the Dutch gilder, but then as you might imagine that fell precipitously, precipitously both in the First World War and the Second to a level of European currencies only around 1%, 1.5% in the late 60s. That's grown again substantially uh, with the ending of Bretton Woods, and uh, then of course with the issuance of the Euro in 1999, and it settled around a fairly consistent 20% uh, for the last uh, couple of decades or so. The question around to what extent people in foreign nations and foreign central banks are happy to hold treasuries also begs the question of the ownership because of course the percentage of reserves held in dollars is a fraction so you have to look at the numerator and the denominator and there's no evidence that foreign central banks or sovereign wealth funds are not happy to own u.s treasuries indeed 20 years ago in 2003 foreign holders of U.S. Treasuries amounted about a trillion dollars. In 2023, it's more like seven trillion. So there's no indication of exodus of demand um, for, for U.S. dollars from that perspective. More broadly then, what are the criteria for the effective reserve currency status? Well, essentially, it's size, size of the economy, depth of the capital markets, because you have to own assets in that currency, and therefore you need a very large issuance Uh, in that currency. Liquidity, certainly it's important that you can get in and out of those assets, particularly in times of stress, uh, as has happened frequently over the last 20 or 30 years. Openness of capital markets uh, is related to that. Convertibility, it must be an ability to move away from or into that currency quite easily. And then the notion of property rights and protections and the rule of law, the idea being that those assets cannot be sequestered uh, if there is uh, is a problem uh, of any geopolitical status and so forth. And there aren't that many countries around the world that will have all those attributes, attributes, and the U.S. retains uh, all of those uh, for the time being.
0: You know, that's a good point. Perhaps the biggest argument in favor of continued dominance of the U.S. dollar as the global reserve is the lack of a viable alternative. Can you elaborate on that a bit?
1: Yes, to extend the point around those, those attributes, um, if you look at the Euro area, then the market is nothing like as deep, the capital market is nothing like as deep, uh, particularly for AAA rated securities as it is, uh, is in the US. Uh, there has been some diversification of assets in reserve accounts in the last 10 years, which have increased the exposure to the Australian dollar, the Canadian dollar, sterling is now up at five, The Japanese yen is up at about 5%, um, uh, a little bit more in the RMB, even Korea, Korean won and Swedish krona, but these are all very small and none of them have the ability to challenge the US with the exception potentially of China, which we'll address in a moment. Uh, Gold, as I mentioned before, has risen in terms of holdings, but it's small in the context of the total size of the market being only around about $11 trillion in total, whereas the debt securities market alone in the US is 50 trillion. How's it raised to China? Well, that's the big question here, to what extent the RMB may uh, rise, but the number of significant structural reasons why that's very unlikely to be the case in the near term. First of all, the RMB has capital controls. So there's a question over its convertibility. There is a question, uh, of course, in terms of Chinese law around property rights and to what extent a holder is immune from the possibility of sequestration. And the political environment in China, which is very transparent, is that there's a move to greater control and less openness uh, in terms of the policies of Xi Jinping. So there is some notion that in terms of invoicing and international payments, as I alluded to before with Brazil, there may well be and there has been more cross-border payments in Yuan. Uh, Clearly, the war with Russia-Ukraine has significantly increased the uh, China-Russia trade invoiced uh, in uh, yuan. But then the question is beg to what extent are various countries, if it extends beyond Russia, going to do with those RMB because of the issues around store of value and and, and assets as well? Um, So that's really the question mark. And there's a distinction between bilateral trade and multilateral trade. It's quite understandable that trade with Beijing will increasingly be invoiced in RMB, uh, but that's a relatively small issue in the global stage. Is it likely, for example, that Middle Eastern exporters and African importers will start invoicing RMB? That would be a game changer because that would be a multilateral uh, consequence, but it seems unlikely uh, at this point. The other thing to think about is the, um, the, the consequences of balance of payments accounting, essentially, which is to say that one of the ways where foreign countries have claims on the US dollar is because the US dollar is a massive issuer externally through its current account deficit. If you're running current account surplus as China is, as Russia is, as the GCC nations are, then it's very difficult to have a situation where you can increase foreigners claims on your currency, which is what is needed to uh, increase the percentage in terms of the foreign reserve uh, uh, share. And so that is unlikely to happen should something very significant uh, change as well. Perhaps one thing to look out for is to what extent the pegs that many currencies have around the world, including GCC and Panama and Hong Kong and others, change. There's about 22 countries in the world that are pegged to the US. If you see part of that unraveling, whatever reason, geopolitically or trade linked or what have you, you may begin to see uh, chips in the the armory, so to speak, of the US dollar status. But that seems very unlikely uh, for the time being. In terms of um, central bank digital currencies, that's worth looking at. Certainly China is the forefront of that. But the onset of ECNY, which is the uh, digital uh, uh, Chinese currency, there's primarily a focus on the payment system and tackling 10 cent and Alipay rather than, and control of the, cap, the population, of course, rather than um, trying to increase China as an attractive reserve asset. And it doesn't directly address the capital controls problem either. And lastly, if you think more broadly around the threat to this whole reserve question of the dollar of, of cryptocurrencies, there are five major problems here. Uh, volatility is too high, credibility is too low, liquidity is too small, as is size, and correlation with risk assets is too high. Meaning that, oftentimes, uh, an attractive reserve currency will be a safe haven in times of uh, risk asset decline. But recent history, at least, has shown that there's a risk when there's a risk-off environment. Um, cryptocurrencies have done very poorly. So it's much too early to believe that crypto assets will cryptocurrencies can in any way uh, enter in any meaningful sense to the reserve currency debate.
0: So you've painted a fairly convincing picture for why there isn't currently a viable alternative to the dollar. However, are there any risks to being too complacent about dollar dominance and? even in the absence of a collapse in USD status anytime soon, is there a risk of the dollar's share of global reserves dipping further? And and what would that mean for the dollar and for global markets?
1: Yeah, I think overall, it's highly probable that you can make the case over in time the dollar's share will decline. As I mentioned, we're going from what you might call a unipolar to a multipolar world. There are these moves in terms of um trade considerations to invoice in other currencies. We are in a world ideologically where we're moving to what is now known as democracy versus autocracy. And so the geopolitical tensions are rising and this will all lead to changes in the pattern of global trade and quite likely at the margin, the holdings of global currency reserves. But I think the point to make here is is at the margin. And even if the dollar came below 50%, would that be de-dollarization or would that be dominance? Maybe it's both because no other currency would come close even if the Yuan uh, did rise from its paltry uh, 2.5% currently. So the direction of travel may well be in that direction, but it's very likely to be gradual. Uh, And coming back to the most important issue of all, it's unlikely in and of itself to impact the direction of the dollar. As I mentioned before, These two are relatively disassociated. And indeed, there is evidence because no country, particularly um, emerging countries, like excessive strength in their currency, particularly of their exporters. And so leaning against dollar weakness actually does increase dollar reserves. Um, So the the idea of the dollar, let's say going from 58% to 50%, does not necessarily mean that it's um, associated with, uh, with dollar weakness, which perhaps is the most important question of all, um, that's still going to be dominated by underlying economic fundamentals. It's going to be dominated by issues of valuation, issues of cyclical economic interaction by um, countries and, and regions, uh, and that's a separate subject entirely. Clearly, the fragmentation between the U.S. and China, which was begun in in 2016 and continued um, in the two U.S. administrations, is is an overarching issue, perhaps, to to continue to monitor. Um, But broadly speaking, I think that any change will be gradual. And most important of all, it's unlikely to be a major issue in the context of um, the global financial system. There are many other issues that are more predominant. Certainly the question mark around the global banking system with um, uh, several banks failing recently, both in the US and Europe. Uh, Issues around uh, on the reserve side, why haven't uh, reserves grown in some of the uh, large holders recently given huge current account surpluses? Well, in fact, the the Belt and Road Initiative in China, uh, that looks to have been um, that a lot of the lending from China has been in dollars. So rather than add further to reserves, They've used that as part of that um, initiative to, uh, to have their multi-strategy approach to, um, to, to strength in, uh, in other relations with um, emerging economies. So there's a, there's a complex issue and a number of other uh, facets to it. But broadly speaking, any gradual decline is unlikely to be a threat to the global financial system.
0: Is there anything the U.S. could do that would really put the dollar status as reserve currency at risk? Yes,
1: I mean, we can think of a hypothetical in that regard. I mean, if the U.S. abuses the use of sanctions and it becomes more frequent, if it runs consistently bad macro policies, um, if it becomes isolationist, if it uh, does really stupid things like defaults on its debt, I mean, the idea of the full faith and credit of the U.S. government being questioned would be an epochal change, and it really would question the the hegemony of of the U.S. dollar then those, that cocktail could certainly accelerate the, uh, the dollar's demise and the focus on de Uh At the current juncture, it seems that um, an aggregation of all of those is unlikely.
0: Thank you, Mark, for diving into this debate with me. It seems relatively clear, looking through the lens of history and evaluating what's driven the dollar's resilience thus far, that imminent demise is not around the corner for the greenback. However, longevity is not immortality, and you rightly point out there are some longer-term risks, however seemingly remote, that are certainly worth being mindful of. And I think you're also right to point out that any potential decline in status for the US dollar is likely to be gradual and to not send immediate shockwaves through global markets. So perhaps to end by quoting the great Mark Twain, as far as the dollar is concerned, reports of my death are greatly exaggerated. Thank you all for tuning in. I hope we have been able to add some helpful color around this topical issue. And please join us on our next episode of Macro Matters for a lively discussion with an ex-director of MI6 to discuss some of the major geopolitical issues facing the world today.